puppet masters almost surely have a plan There's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man Until we've thoroughly tested every last close-chested view Find the more you think you know, unless you really do Where would we be without THC? We know the lying to us just don't know to what degree Where would we be without THC? The highest side chat show Carl Wood and Company Side Chatters, as we turn the page on a new year, it's only natural to assess our point in the timeline, how accurate our maps have been, and how they should maybe be altered for the next chapter in the big and complex cosmic script. Because to me, this nefarious novella reads like a paradoxical combination of predictable cliches and off-the-wall Shyamalan plot twists. So find your spot around the campfire's edge as we examine questions like which deep state-derived subplots should we follow and which ones are roads to nowhere... How aligned are we with ways of thinking that won't drive us mad? What are the latest schemes of our scaly villains of empire? And where the fuck have all the heroes gone? Because personally, this boiling frog has been getting a bit too warm lately, and I'd love to find some ways to turn down the heat. So today we're checking back in with one of my favorite cooks in the chaotic and conspiratorial kitchen, serving up a hearty bowl of rune soup for the eighth time, Gordon White. You know him well, as he's the man whose magic explained the ancient world and starships, taught us how to not die in the chaos protocols, and made us take a good hard look in the pig-chimp hybrid mirror and the archives of podcasts past. It's always a pleasure to have him back, the Jack Sparrowing headmaster of his own digital Hogwarts and the higher side's personal professor of the dark arts, pulling ahead of Nick Redfern once again to take the lead in the never-ending horse race of THC airtime, the thrice-great Gordon Green Acres White. Welcome back, my man. <laughs> that was amazing. And I'm glad you mentioned the, yeah, the Redfern horse race, because that was obviously going to be my first question. What number is Nick at? Yes, yes, still seven, so you're in the lead. Yes. I love it, man. Just another day at the office. And I do have Harry Potter on the brain because I spent the first week of 2018 sick as a dog in bed. And my first official accomplishment of the year was sadly just watching eight Harry Potter movies back to back, which really kills that. I'm going to get shit done this year, buzz. But how are things with you, man? Officially moved on to the farm and another step away from the clutches of the Archons, it seems, huh? Yeah, so second week onto the farm in southern Tasmania, and so far it's been, which has been the, I mean, we've known each other for a while now. This is the end of the beginning of a multi-year plan, and so far it's shaping up as we'd hoped. Nice, yeah, man, that's amazing. It is really just great to see you putting all those plans into action, the chaos protocols basically into action, and of course last year we talked about it being the year we get everything wrong looking at, you know, bad solutions to bad problems. And I've already heard you refer to 2018 as the year of mind control, which I think says it all because I see some of us doing a lot of huffing and puffing about things that really don't matter that much and missing things that might be changing our lives forever. And I'm as guilty as anyone. But to kick this off, what are the biggest blips on the conspiratorial concerns radar that you think an alternative thinker should be paying the most attention to given all the chaos? Sure. I'm not even sure it's just alternative thinkers at the moment, but it's at a base level, if you don't have a kind of 
informed and sufficient understanding of the range of tactics that fall under mind control from the kind of stuff that we know exists but maybe others don't from the, the the sort of 50s science fiction version of it which certainly exists all the way down to advertising effectively if you don't have an understanding that this thing can be played like an organ to shape conversations on a local national and planetary basis then you are probably one of the pipes in that organ so i think that's that's the main one just you're not going to get anything right if you don't take that first step and kind of realize that the 2018, well, even 2017, but it, the, the principal battlefield is the mind. With that being said, the stuff that I think everyone's missing, the, the things that people, particularly Americans, are scared about but shouldn't be, is the preposterous idea that some other country is going to fire missiles at the United States. Mm -hmm. um, this is not a thing you need to be worried about. No one would ever do that, ever. If you actually look at just the admitted military assets and infrastructure in the US versus every other country, and the sort of next one down, the next ones down are all allies like Japan and the UK anyway. No one is, <laughs> no one is, is coming for Hawaii or anywhere else. So once you remove that fear, a lot of stuff starts to look different. But it also, every time you remove maybe one of these misperceptions, what happens is your level of personal responsibility ratchets up a notch as you ratchet down the misperception. And I think a lot of people don't like that. I think that's, oh, so I guess we're not all going to die in a nuclear conflagration. I should look at my 401k. <laughs> uh, and that, I mean, that's a sort of facetious example, but not really. So that would be the main one. In the alternative space is the persistent mind virus and it's you know engineered we're talking about mind control that god emperor trump is is here to save you and and upturn the deep state and and everything will be good that's i mean we've just been through 18 months of the presidency and that's not correct there is absolutely a whole lot of downsizing and collapsing of different nests of vipers going on in that permanent government world but where it gets engineered is when you get to this low-resolution idea where one side is the good guys and the other side is the bad guys. You've been doing this long enough to know that they're all bad. Yeah, I agree, man. And uh, your Trump comments might have just answered my next question, but I also was going to say that, yeah, it seems unlikely that some other country would decide to give us an excuse to spend all this money that we invest in our war tech, but you know, our government might hit us with something marked with someone else's name. Can't rule that out. Yeah, that's very true. I think, though, well, that has historically happened. That's happened from, you know, crop dusting black neighborhoods in Philadelphia during the Cold War to, you know, test different vaccines. That happens. The U.S. government has done that for quite some time, right? And it's certainly been doing false flags since the end of the 19th century. But it probably won't be. It, you might get a dirty bomb, but it wouldn't. They they wouldn't simulate a Russian strike because your infrastructure is bad enough as it is. They, they don't want to ruin it anymore. <laughs> I think if they're, I think if they're going to blame a foreign power, it'll probably be EMPs or things that put the infrastructure into place. So yes, don't worry about the missiles. There are things to be concerned about, but, and I use the word concern deliberately because the one thing that you, you must do and the one thing that you can't let be taken away from you, just don't give in to fear. These are intense times, times of transitions. Things could definitely be going better in a lot of places. Fear will just 
impact your amygdala's ability to accurately make decisions and and make informed decisions. And this is exactly when you need it. (laughs) So don't give interfere. Whatever you need to do, and even if it's just deep breathing and meditation, from a geopolitics perspective, from an astrological forecast perspective, this is a bouncy year. This is very turbulent. So know that and deep breathe. Fair enough. And You know, I did forget exactly where you said it, but you did say it or I wouldn't have written it down here. But the point about 2018, the year of mind control, you say the only way I can rationalize how crazy America has gotten is mind control. And I'll take that. Hit us with it. But maybe you you can elaborate a little more outside of Trump mania because we might be too close to the forest to see the trees. And from an outsider perspective. What do you see us being subjected to or where are these mind control elements being injected in ways that might be uniquely American and not necessarily just on the right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's THC, so we can talk about this kind of stuff. You guys have the best mobile coverage in the world and you're getting a lot of where you'll first cap off the rank for things like 5G and so on. So if we're talking mind control in the sense of embedded thoughts and the actual hijacking of someone's nervous system and brain, I think it's difficult to understand some of the more bizarre mass shootings that have happened in the last couple of years without that. And I think they're kind of testing the levels on, on you know, on the ray gun, if you will. Yeah. That appears to be in play there. And that's one of them that is currently exclusively American, because again, it does require the sort of crowded electromagnetic spectrum that you guys have and other places are sort of building up to it. That would be a main one. From the idea virus, the, the, the biggest one for countries, like, so 95% of the world's population lives outside the US. And when we look in at the things that you guys are scared of uh, and the things that are of concern, the first one is this embedded fear that there are all these enemies who are coming to destroy you and you can't <laughs> imagine what that looks like from the outside. It's crazy. And then, of course, there is in the alternate, well, probably the deliberate atomization of different groups, but this sort of persistent strain on the Internet alt-right of Trump as God Emperor. That's one of them. You get the similar reaction on the left, which we've also seen and, and so on. I'm not necessarily sure if that's, well, you can call it mind control because some of those, you know, memes and mind viruses and positions that you get on the far left quite clearly plug into state and non-state actors to, you know, either push agendas or whatever it is they're doing. Doesn't matter. What it means is the signal is not clean. So that's one of them. And then there's the other thing, which I don't know if it's mind control or just perceptual error. It's, it's the one that annoys me the most in many respects is the liberal centrist delusion that things used to be good and they're bad now. They've always been bad. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's as simple as that. I mean, Trump is patently racist in the words that he says, but one of the countries he called a shithole, the United States has been collapsing and interfering with for over a century. And the candidate he ran against, her and her husband basically harvested a whole bunch of charity money to give to their millionaire and billionaire friends to put industry into Haiti rather than rebuild the place. And he goes, so he said some gross words about it. And that one collapsed things. And and yeah. I think it's that binary that people, there's the same thing with Libya, like all these countries that he uses the shithole term for, thanks to the Obama-Clinton intervention in Libya, the slave industry has returned there for the first time in centuries. So one of them says bad words, and the other one 
harvest the first black republic on the planet and bring slavery back to Africa by their actions, not their words. What this means, because usually, and this is where the mind virus or, or the perceptual error comes in, if I bring that up, that is not a pro-Trump statement. Right. That is a statement I made at the beginning of the show, which is they're all bad. And you will fall into the trap, like getting another bad person and thinking you fixed things. If you go, oh, he said some terrible words, we should have this one instead. It's the same project. <laughs> this is not where the answer comes from. And I, I guess I'm a bit surprised. And there's presumably, I'm sure if you looked for it and you pulled on threads, you would find the deliberate seeding of these ideas out in social media now. But I guess I'm a bit surprised that 18 months on, people still haven't worked that out. People still think that this entirely co-opted, fully corrupt and supportive of most of Trump's policies, in particular the surveillance ones, that is the sort of corporate Democratic Party you have now. I'm really surprised that people think that's a viable alternative. Like, ah, well. Trump's awful, which he is. We should get these guys in. But they're also awful. Have you not worked that out? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I so agree. And it's just like there's a think tank with a piggy bank behind fucking everything. And it's just so annoying when you feel like there's one genuine movement and then you find out, nope, not this one either. And it's just like words and tweets, I think, are just easier to pay attention to than international covert ops. And so we don't pay attention to actions. We just pay attention to the words. Plus, the media is actually telling us about the words, and they didn't necessarily tell us about the other stuff. Well, they didn't. And it comes back to the ratcheting up of personal responsibility. Uh, yeah. Again, which is correct. This is correct. I'm sure people listening to this get it. But the Democratic Party is not the solution to the dumpster fire that is the like both sides of the aisle management of the United States and thus the empire. It is not the solution. And the reason I think people want it to be is they don't have to do anything else then. They can complain on Twitter and Facebook, obviously, and go, oh, it would have been so much better if this happened or, or, or so on. It, it wouldn't. No. This, the problem is not with the flapping head at the front of it. And I think that is the cognitive error that people don't want to look at. And also they have to own the horror of it because – as you do and as I do, when people – and I guess look, we can use it as a glass half full. Let's do this glass half full. For 10 years, I've certainly been writing about and you've been looking at the footprint of empire around the world. Obama's drone strikes, intervention in Syria, intervention in Libya and Ukraine and all of this kind of stuff. When you get nary a peep out of anyone on Facebook until – and there has been a geostrategic pivot with Trump, but nevertheless – you still have that same flouncing about the planet demanding what's best for the United States attitude that you get with Trump. It's a different mode of it. And all of a sudden, people have noticed. And I, it's taken me a while to get over my frustration. And I guess the glass half full is like, well, at least now people who were denying it before are willing to talk about things like drone strikes and Syrian intervention. Because glass half full, maybe because he is so unlikable, over the next few years, more people will grow to a, a, a more THC awareness that the actual problem is empire rather than whatever figurehead they trot out in front of it to get the country arguing for a while. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, if the influence of my sigils has any impact, then they will have a more THC mindset for sure. Gold. So maybe that is a silver lining. And to further the point a little bit more, we're probably going to dip in and out of talking about cycles, but I've also heard you note that 2018 looks to be a panic year. 
based on both the models of economist Martin Armstrong and the astrological cycles watched by Austin Kopic, which is probably a predisposition to make people aware of, along with citing the timeless advice from the classic Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and saying, don't panic. Yeah, there's something, if I tell you I'm going to hit you, and then I hit you, you'll be annoyed, but you won't be surprised. And if you know that this year is going to be choppy, and all signs point to yes, when the chop happens, when you hit the turbulence on the flight, you know it's coming, so you don't think, ah, the plane's crashing. You go, okay, this is that turbulence. And for people who kind of you know, want to deep dive into it, I think depending on when this comes out, it'll be a couple of weeks ago, I had a talk about the cycle model. And at the end of last year, I had Austin on talking about 2018. And you can kind of listen to those two in conjunction and get parts of the year where all of these models, which model the cyclical nature of reality, kind of overlap and say, well, this is going to be a bit of a pain point and this is going to be quite bad. And if there's going to be military conflict in the Middle East, it's here and so on. And you can kind of the benefit of doing these things, and in a, in a sense, the macro benefit of having a cycle model of your own, so like thinking cyclically, which is, I think, borne out by the empirical evidence, is you go into the bad stuff, but you know good stuff comes because that's the cycle. So it gives you the opportunity of not thinking the plane is crashing or that this is, in fact, Armageddon, and just go, this is, this is a bad period. And when you know that that's kind of literally in the stars... It's easier to do that, don't give into fear and sort of move through it because eventually the turbulence clears up. So, yes, there's a, there's a bunch of different models here. And I think, and the fact that this year in particular, they align because what I was talking about with Armstrong's model, I've been following this stuff for years. He said he looked into astrology and it didn't match his cycle model. And I think he did that when he was putting it together in the late 70s. And late 70s astrology is terrible. If you haven't looked at it in the last 20 years, it's a whole new day. And I suspect that he hasn't looked at some of the longer cycles and, and kind of Greco-Egyptian late antique era stuff that's been quite rigorously and diligently picked over and examined and used by this sort of new crop of astrologers. Because a lot more of that lines up. And this year in particular, since I've been paying more attention to astrology as well as Armstrong's model, this year in particular, the fit is quite good. So that itself may say something. But yes, from the Socrates perspective, it's a panic year. And from a 2018 perspective, astrologically, it's an exciting year in the stars. So we just, mm -hmm. we can know that. We can know that that's what's coming. And that is at least a help. Yeah. And the immortal words of Scar, be prepared. And uh, speaking of panic, I wanted to ask you just a little bit more about this Hawaii missile warning false alarm, because you have such a well-defined model of consciousness and its effects in the physical world. And the most interesting theory I've heard about what this could be is that it would tie into something like Princeton's Global Consciousness Project based on Young's New Sphere idea, basically a test measuring consciousness effects. And if that's true, an island is a great place to run a test, but to further the idea of a deeper game going on. If you look at the logo for the Hawaii Emergency Management System, it's nearly an exact match for the all-seeing eye seal on the dollar. And, you know, that just subs out a volcano for a pyramid. And I've heard several numerological clues cited also, and maybe I'm descending into conspiracy madness in the first 15 minutes here, but what say you? There are two scenarios, and it's probably 
Well, the one that we can definitively rule out is that it's human error. Yeah. So there are two scenarios. There's the one that you more or less described. We are basically subjected to, this is the mind control thing, like continuous ops. Like you, you are more informed about global news, the less news, particularly you watch from a broadcast perspective. The whole, so much stuff that's happened in the last 18 months has been not just wrong, it's, it's been faked, right? And, and so, yes, if you were going to ramp that up and start, this would be a good place, much like using the kind of quote unquote full blown mind control to test rogue mass shooters shooting up churches and all the rest of it. This would be a good place to test what happens, what the panic reaction is in the event of a faked missile attack. That's one of them. So it could be a almost sociological test to see what happens to people in that we've only got a few minutes to live situation. It could be a consciousness exercise, but it also could have actually, and this is what we can't yet rule out because it's still early days, it could have been something in the sky. So we've lost a satellite. We just launched another Knights Templar one. I wake up, it's the morning here in Tasmania, but I woke up and there was another, a similar missile alert in Japan overnight, my time, and there's this one. So there's, and we also had whatever that completely faked, well, not completely faked, but highly suspicious DeLong announcement of UFO stuff at the end of last year. So there's stuff in the sky, we're losing stuff in the sky, we're admitting there's stuff in the sky, and we now have, because here's a bit, there's a 38-minute gap, right? So, oh, whoops, I hit the we're all going to die button. In that 38 minutes, something happened. So it's either, I'd be more inclined along your line if it was 33 minutes, but it's 38 and so I'm just wondering if maybe there was something in the sky that was going fast enough to look like a missile, but obviously behaving differently. And so these people weren't actually sure if what they were seeing was a missile because now, you know, Japan had one. We're losing stuff all over the place. Then the private companies are insisting that we haven't. So there's a lot of dodgy stuff going on from a space perspective. And what the radar picked up may well have been something like that. I love it. But what about 38? equaling 11 or am i doing it wrong does that, does that mean anything numerology isn't what a lot of people think it is numerology is a sort of semi-recent hobby you can kind of count down there are earlier systems of sort of matching numbers to significance and obviously numbers to letters and so on and, and cabal is a, a very good example of that but sometimes you see people going oh well this happened in 1891 so i'm going to add these together and 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 seven is the seventh letter of the alphabet right. and all that that kind of thing is actually new it's a parlor game really rather than the proper magic stuff when you see them doing high ritual the number stuff is more complex than that and they're much more interested in in anniversaries and timing when it's like you know the behind the curtain ritualists the dates are more important and the times are more important than adding the numbers together, which is, again, it's sort of like a Victorian hobby is where it, where it came from. It doesn't have that. You can do it like you can use. There have been ciphers that have been used in magic. But the one that I most commonly see in that kind of alternate research field doesn't go far back enough to satisfy my requirements for it being, quote unquote, proper magic. So I don't know. Maybe the 38 means something to someone. But I don't think if you can bring it down to 11 and go, okay, well, maybe it's maybe that's what the signaling is. It could well be. But at the moment, especially given the new other faked one in Japan, there could just be stuff flying around, particularly as that's the what we're seeing is that Pacific pivot. So that corner of the sort of west of Hawaii and east of China, 
is the emerging flashpoint. So it's not that surprising that you start to see weird stuff there. Interesting. Yeah, it's always hard for me with the numerology because you can always add numbers up to equal one of those special numerals, you know, some in some combination. But something in the sky is definitely provocative. And I also copied this down. I just wanted to read an excerpt from Princeton's Global Consciousness Project, because if this missile warning wasn't connected, we should be on the lookout for world events that are because this is kind of insane. So reading from the website of the project, the Global Consciousness Project is an international multidisciplinary collaboration of scientists and engineers. We collect data continuously from a global network of physical random number generators located in up to 70 host sites around the world at any given time. The data are transmitted to a central archive, which now contains more than 15 years of random data and parallel sequences of synchronized 200-bit trials generated every second. Our purpose is to examine subtle correlations that may reflect the presence and activity of consciousness in the world. We hypothesize that there will be structure in what should be random data associated with major global events that engage our minds and hearts. Subtle but real effects of consciousness are important scientifically, but their real power is more immediate. They encourage us to make essential healthy changes in the great scheme that dominates our world. Large-scale group consciousness has effects in the physical world. Knowing this, we can intentionally work towards a brighter, more conscious future. So to me, it sounds like exactly the sort of test project that this would have been a part of. And they even throw in that last line of, we're doing this for the good of humanity. And that line always is a red flag to me. Yeah, and there is presumably uh, some of these test centers in Japan. So they do have the opportunity now to see if there is a not only a change, but if the change in random numbers that would have happened in Hawaii the other day is the same sort of change that you got in Japan, my overnight or, or whatever time it is there. So sure. And as with all of these things, there's usually more than one thing going on. So, yes. but it's, it's too long for it to be human error. And it's deeply suspicious that another one happened in another country in this, in that same kind of area as the, you know, the Pacific pivot as we head into the, well, we head into, we're 20% of the way through a Pacific century in many respects. But I have no doubt we'll see, and there's generally more than one thing going on. Same with CERN, same with any of this stuff. You get more than one thing happening. If you're going to spend that much money on it, if it, if it was actual craft that were mistaken for missiles, like if you're going to roll the flying saucers out from whatever Raytheon base they're on, that's presumably expensive, so you might as well... <laughs> Do more than one thing at once while you're out and flying about. Also pick up some milk. Right, right. Yeah. I just I just went down that Princeton Global Consciousness Project rabbit hole, thought that was interesting. And also Japan, another island. So you did a great show with Alex on Skeptico not too long ago, and I just thought it was right on the money. And just as an aside, I think I'm going to dial back the Project Camelot type of stuff and add in some more Skeptico type of stuff in the higher side soup this year. But the whole thing that got me thinking, of course, from a conspiratorial perspective, was what it might mean for us that the culture of materialist science is now making room for consciousness and panpsychism is so hot for them right now. Is it almost worse for us in a sense that the better understanding the machine has for what's under the hood, the better these groups, even the smaller groups, could get at manipulating us? Yeah, it would be if they hadn't, if the behind the curtain people hadn't already worked it out and they never hadn't you know from kind of tesla on 
the materialism has been an op. Right. And it, it was ramped up particularly in the Cold War because it became associated with hyper-consumptive, super-successful capitalism in its fight against the Soviets. So the op has been very deliberate, but no one behind the curtain has... It's, it's impossible to have that as well as your MK programs and your electrogravitics and the rest of it because any one of these breaks it. Now, what you're seeing at the moment is sort of multifold. Generally, it's academics trying to kick their tenured can further down the road, having been wrong for 40 years of their career. And as we get to the end of it, and you have things like NASA's EM drive, which breaks everything. And we're, we're rolling out toys that break the science that we were taught, at least at a high school level, like break it, which suggests to me what's happening there is like it's, it's time for these toys. And I think that's what the DeLong thing is about. And it's also why I'm squinting at the, the Hawaii, Japan radar or missile incident just a little bit more closely because now is the time for these toys to be rolled out. So yes, it is a bit more dangerous, but it's kind of how these things work. And we just need to get better at moving the, I guess, the debate because you can kick the can of materialism down the road with panpsychism if you are a materialist, but you can't if you have spent even a single second looking at it and realizing it's kind of a numbers fudge to keep that materialist can running. And it's very important. It's it's the sort of belief system of empire. It's really, really important to kick that can as far as it will go until it doesn't go any further. So as with all of these things, you end up the philosophical and the metaphysical is political. And that's one of them. But under no, like no one behind the curtain, it's it, they wouldn't have been able to do their jobs if they were adhering to the version of reality that we have not only taught, but they, you know, they roll out extremely dodgy people with mysterious pasts and, and give them fake psychic prizes and all these things that are run out of military bases that keep skepticism and this kind of arch materialism running is at dramatic odds to how certain Anglo-American factions have arranged the entire 20th century. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that is a great point. It's never not been known behind the curtain. But I guess I worry that maybe the people behind the curtain won't have the monopoly that they've had for previous decades, maybe previous centuries. But that all does bring me right up to one of the main things I was going to ask you about was the subject of a changing of the dominant worldview. You gave a presentation called The Dominant of Witchcraft that you put up for premium members, which I thought was just really excellent. I think a lot of us tend to just see Charles Fort as a collector and promoter of weird paranormal type tales, but it seems like he really had some ideas that were well ahead of his time. I want to ask you about his forward thinking dominance model, but first talk to us about old Chuck himself. What do you find interesting about the guy? Chuck was brilliant in retrospect and you know, this will probably happen to you and I as well. Not the brilliance. Well, <laughs> that, that, that's for history to decide, right? But he spent effectively his entire adult life looking at the weird and collecting the weird. And he was obviously intelligent to start with and I think was quite philosophical. He, he sort of realized that, as we did at, at presumably youngish ages, that reality is an op. And also the things that we are told are true. Like, well, why are we told that it's that way? And he, because he was a bad kid kind of. And so he's, father would make him work in their grocery store and he would, used to mess around and put peaches labels on on cans of things that are related to peaches and so he's like well is that still a peach like when does it stop becoming a peach so he's very interested it's like kind of a stoner without the weed like <laughs> very interested in the edges of categorization 
He was also extremely funny. So his books even now are quite funny. But that is obviously born with a philosopher and, and a researcher's understanding of the limits of categorization and what it includes and excludes. So as a result, he came up with, and it's so smart, he came up with this a generation and a half before Kuhn's structure of scientific revolutions, which is where we get the words paradigm change from. He came up with the same idea, but better, because Kuhn's one is essentially that kind of glorious materialism and modernism. Once we hit science, we just get better at science. Nothing comes after it. What Fort saw, and this is in the early 20th century, this is a big deal. He saw that the dominant of science, so the kind of a dominant for him was the official descriptive category, but it was more than that. It's almost like an eon. So you had the dominant of religion beforehand, and then he grew up in the dominant of science, but he saw the edges of it. And he saw them shift when the things that were taken as self-evident within that dominant, it becomes apparent that those self-evident facts aren't, in fact, facts. And he said, so the dominant of science, which is that kind of early 20th century high material clockwork universe, he saw that coming to an end. And that's a big deal because 10 years beforehand, you would have people or men or young men going off to university in London and well in Britain in general who were kind of warned away from studying science because everything had been mostly worked out. So it's like maybe by the time you graduate, we won't even need scientists anymore. That's how confident this materialist model was at the opening of the 20th century. Like this was it and it's almost done, which is astounding to think about now. And so he said this is coming to an end. And the one that he said is replacing it, he called the dominant of wider inclusions or, or the dominant of witchcraft, which is the best description of how we live now. And, and the wider inclusions is essentially the stuff that science decides by fiat doesn't exist. So it's sort of the 20th century paranormal battle. Like, oh, that stuff doesn't exist because either there's no consciousness or there's materialism's the only thing. There's no such thing as ghosts and whatever. And in this one, it's now impossible to argue against it. Like, they're here. They, they were always there. It's just that this sort of structure of reality, the dominant has shifted into the dominant of witchcraft. So you end up with people understanding the high strange and the weird. And the sort of technology that would be associated with the dominant of witchcraft are things like electrogravitic flying saucers and EM drives. And all the stuff that wasn't allowed to exist in the last one. And he saw all of this in the early 20th century, but he had some wild views about, and I think prescient views of the implications and reality and I guess ontological status of all the weird stuff that he looked at his entire life. So, you know, when it rains giant ants or fish or when people bilocate or when people who have the exact same name die on the same day, having lived the same life in two different countries and, and all that kind of stuff. So all the kind of weird that he collected meant that he, and, and not that many people have done this in the history of the West. No one's sort of been a collector of weird to the extent that he was. So we should pay kind of attention to the things that he thought about this stuff and its relation to us. Well said. And that term wider inclusion, it really is like you always say about paranormal and normal, like stop calling it paranormal. If it's there, it's part of the thing. It's part of nature. So it is just, in a sense, normal. And of course, I have to use words like paranormal because I'm a sensationalist conspiracy show, but I get your point, And I think it's a good one. It's kind of right in line with that idea of wider inclusion, bringing it all in. We've had to dismiss it in the age of science, but now we are able to handle it mentally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people kind of 
get and it, to some extent this is Charles's fault <laughs> because of the way he wrote, right? Which is he didn't believe in the supernatural. He said there's no such thing as supernature. And everyone's like, aha, so he must have and this is the difference between a dominant of science and a dominant of wider inclusions. He said so he must have a what we call rational, but is a sort of materialist fairy tale for how giant ants fall slowly in the snow and all the other stuff. That's not at all what he meant. What he meant was, because he was like boss at categorization and its limits, the problem with the supernatural is, and the paranormal, paranormal is beside normal, supernatural is above nature, is you've carved this up and he's the kid with the peach labels and cans. He's like, that's dumb categorization. You've made that up. It's the McKenna line. If it's real, it can take the pressure. And so the things that can take the pressure in the dominant of wider inclusions, this stuff, is the telepathy and the extra-dimensional encounters and the electrogravitics and so on. Like, they're not paranormal. They're not supernatural. They, If they're real, they can take the pressure. If they're real, they're part of reality by definition. And that's what he was saying. And that is really smart. That's a better cosmology than contemporaneous magicians that we might know more about that were living at the same time as what, like Crowley. Crowley had his unnecessarily detailed divisions of the astral or, or non-physical. And, and those are more kind of peach labels for Charles, right? And so it's it's really smart. It's an excellent belief system. Yeah, I found it super interesting. And he's got some amazing quotes too, like, I'm a delusion in a super imagination. I'm a character in someone else's novel. We seem to be livestock or some type of property. So he seems like a pretty Gnostic fellow too. And I guess I would ask you, if we depart from the dominant of science to the dominant of witchcraft, the transition is marked with those things that you mentioned on the edge and also things like the scientific announcements that the universe shouldn't exist. How pompous. Uh, actually, it's your shitty worldview that probably shouldn't exist. But, you know, how do you think the story goes from there? What does it look like a few more decades out, more towards its peak? Well, if we're talking a few more decades out, I think the dominant of witchcraft will probably, or wider inclusions will be brief because I sort of based a lot of this stuff on a guest I had in my first year in the podcast, Jack Hunter, who's a UK academic who wrote a book called Damn Facts, I believe, or edited a collection of kind of academic analyses of Charles Fort from an anthropological perspective. He made the point that unlike Kuhn, which ends in science, there will be a dominant after this one. Like we listening to this show we like the dominant of wider inclusions better than the dominant of science. But this too shall pass. And I said, well, I think the one that comes after it is the dominant of space witchcraft. Because probably we can put, we can draw a line at the end of this dominant, which is about the reenchantment of the world or the recognition of the continuous enchantment of the world, however you want to rephrase that. And I think it is that plus multiplanetary society is when we kind of ring the bell on the next one. So I'm kind of joking a bit and maybe I'm carving up this dominant into too many Maybe I'm double slicing this pizza, but that's the one that I think happens next. So we have to get from now to, and this is the, the long stuff and maybe the missile stuff and so on. The pump is being primed or we're being prepared for the fact that, oh, look, it turns out we've, which we know, but like, it turns out we've had these electrogravitics for a very long time. And, you know, the US has 20 flying saucers or whatever it is. And, that kind of stuff. So I think we're, I think we'll be jumped up into multiplanetary fairly quickly sometime between now and, and 2030s in technically multiplanetary. We won't get to go anywhere in this stuff, but it will be official knowledge in the term of the dominant of wider inclusions that these things exist. And I'm, I've been saying that the entire time with the To the Stars project and, and the fact that they get 
front page on the CIA's Facebook wall, aka New York Times, to say this suggests that that's it. So if you look at how these things work, assuming it's electrogravitics, and I'm quite sure it is, if you look at how these things work, they break the materialist model. And then we have this kind of interregnum period where former materialists are saying, hey, maybe panpsychism. And then we have this stuff happening. And I do think there's an attempt to have the cake and eat it too from a official paradigm perspective and having these technologies officially acknowledged. Yeah, man, I think that really does sound like a pretty logical course of the rollout. I mean, it does seem like what's going on. And speaking of ringing the bell, let's talk about Amuramura, because in the context of a worldview phase change, this thing could be like the housewife who's ringing your doorbell with a fruitcake in hand coming to introduce you to your new reality. On the other hand, we've shit on NASA so much, I'm not even sure what a real announcement is anymore. But what do you think? Is, is this important? Yeah, for me, you know, just to go back to the DeLong thing, everyone was talking about 2017 is the year of disclosure. And it was in a way. And for me, it was Oumuamua rather than, yeah, rather than some military contractors and a singer. Because the thing about it as a structure, the thing about Oumuamua is heads, it's aliens, tails, it's aliens, which is what I said to Richard Hoagland on the weekend. Because there are two ways you can explain this. The first, given its trajectory and its bizarre shape and, and all this kind of stuff. And where, crucially, where it came from, the corner of the sky. So the same month as we had a kind of mass death, Vegas, Vega ritual, a la, according to Chris Knowles, in Las Vegas on NASA's birthday. And then later in that month, we get our first, you can call it an alien spaceship if you want, a first official alien spaceship. It doesn't have to be a spaceship with all the kind of cool Star Trek toys to satisfy that definition, because it's either artificial based on this trajectory, in which case alien by definition, or it's not because how when people were looking at it and why it got such coverage is maybe this is, in fact, an alien object. And even in the mainstream press, it's because the other option is, is what you have to solve is, is this an extremely unlikely event or which suggests alien or is this a very common event, which means we haven't understood the gaps between solar systems? If it's common, if these things happen all the time, then essentially in between solar systems, you have a sort of Walmart parking lot of billions and trillions of objects like this that sort of zip and bounce in between solar systems. And if that's the case, it's aliens because there is your panspermia vector par excellence. So there is the life was seeded on this planet by some kind of postal system of bizarre shaped rocks bouncing in between solar systems. So heads it's aliens, tails it's aliens. I think it is probably artificial and vastly ancient in I don't think it's common. And something Tyler Cohen said, who's my favorite neoclassical economist, is like from a Fermi paradox perspective, just running the numbers, we should expect it to be aliens because we've been looking for them. And the actual challenge with the Fermi paradox is why aren't they here? So for me that's it. Like we saw it. There have been ones beforehand. I mean, we know there's stuff on Mars and, and all that kind of thing. But for me, 2017 in October, as to whether they knew it was coming or whether these two events coincide in breaking the word coincidence apart, that bizarre ritual murder and the sort of arrival of this poop-shaped alien asteroid in the same month, it just defy you, you need numbers that aren't used in the physical description of the entire universe to run those odds. So that was it for me. As to whether we can trust exactly what's going on, well, that is the 
eternal challenge. The information came out. Well, here's the dodgy bit, and it's kind of like the missile thing. The information came not initially from NASA, but, but via it. And then you get the NASA official statements at some stage. So we know things showed up, or at least we can be more confident that a thing showed up. But yeah, there's dodgy stuff. So there was 34 days of follow-up observation, which is, actually means there's 33 days between the discovery and the announcement of Oumuamua. So there is still some weird Earth-based signaling involved. They found it, and then they said they had 34 days of follow-up observation and then the announcement. So it's 33 days until the announcement in that case. So that I was looking for that kind of weird signaling, and the only one I found, as far as I can tell, is that, which, as I read that, when you see the 33 showing up, it is a wink that, I don't want to say class of people or group of people, but that faction is involved. When you get your 33s, that's the wink. Yeah, I agree. And... I guess I would also ask you about maybe its name or the proposed corner of the sky that it came from. Is there anything there that rings your ritual alarm bell? Well, here's the thing with any of this analysis, and it's why I like, I mean, you know, I like Chris Knoll's stuff at the best of times, but it's why I like that kind of synchromistic analysis of the universe. It's essentially a form of algebra because... The universe responds to ritual, or not only we wouldn't do ritual, but the elites wouldn't do it. So when you're dealing with an event like Vegas, some of it is, you know, putting speech marks around it, us. Some of it is humans doing it, and some of it is the universe responding. And what you can do with synchromysticism is it's literally like algebra. Like you don't know what A and B is, but you know that A squared plus B squared equals C squared. So you've kind of gone humans and universe equals kind of weird shit that happens. And that way you can think with and think about without trying to play the guessing game of they did this or they arranged all of this and, and whatever. And it's, it's just, it's a, it's a cleaner way of doing it because yes, it's a Hawaiian named object based on its where it was discovered. We just had weird stuff in the sky over Hawaii again. So how much of that is the universe and how much of that is by design? I don't know. We can still think with the fact that these overlap, and I do think that's significant. And it's probably, if it's the universe, quote-unquote, it's, we'll use ringing the bell again, it's ringing the bell for that specific pivot. That's the universe responding to like, okay, this is where the focus is now, sort of west of Hawaii, if you will. It could be more than that in the case of, like the Vegas thing astounds me, right? Because Oumuamua came from the general, well, actually the very explicit vegan direction, whatever it is, 18, 19 days later. Now, if you performed that mass murder ritual, which isn't quite what they did at all in Babylon or in, you know, in Sumer, you perform a ritual to attract the attention of the gods. And then you wait to see what the universe, like you, you wait for signs that the universe has heard you. Mm. and that's rather a good one and it's crazy like i don't know if they're expecting it but the weird thing is from a magical universe perspective we would be expecting it if it's a vega ritual you would expect vega to respond and we got it 19 days later so this is the algebra thing like well magic works so it, it may not have been intentional it may have been a welcome gift it may have been who knows and we can think with it without kind of landing on it could be this or it could be that because it's just, it boggles the mind again. Like why Hawaii? I, I actually really like the name of it, but, and I think it's nice that it, you know, it gets a Polynesian name, but 
all the other stuff around it. Goodness, you think that's why I think the 2017 disclosure event was Oumuamua rather than, you know, Blink-182. Dude, I just love that. The uh, Harvest Festival on NASA's birthday is like the picking up of the phone and Amuramura is like the answering. And like, yeah, we're here we are. I just think that's uh, a great, provocative, interesting way to think about it. <laughs> well, that's that's ritual magic. That's how it has been used. And I, I know that's kind of, it's a real flashpoint topic for alternate media because, as you know, like a lot of them come from ecstatic Christian backgrounds. So they think it's all bad and they're all somehow the Freemasons and the Vatican and colluding in it whatever, ritual magic conspiracy with Thelemites like Dick Cheney, and oh, it's a mess. Nevertheless, magic works. And this is how it was done in Egypt and Babylon and so on. You, you have these large civic sacrifices, and you do that because the universe responds. And it just, my head still spins thinking about it. And because before Oumuamua showed up, my assumption, and I think most people who look at it that way's assumption was, it's kind of like, 9-11 happening on the, particularly whatever it was that hit the Pentagon, happened on the anniversary of the dedication of the Pentagon. So whatever that was that obviously wasn't a plane that hit the Pentagon is a rededication of the ground to the Pentagon for a new mission, for a new, like, that's good ritual magic, good speech marks again, right? And I think that was, I assumed that was what was going on because there's very few places in America where you can have effectively a blood sacrifice in front of all the iconography that has been associated with the previous NASA missions. Like, it's just there. You have to go to Egypt to do it otherwise, right? And yes, they're tacky and it's ersatz and it doesn't matter. The images are there. So, and it was on NASA's birthday. And you think this is a rededication of NASA for whatever comes next. And then mm. Oumuamua comes next and... We're getting the first signalings from, you know, operatives and, and useful idiots that the toys are kind of being rolled out of the underground bases, which is what I think we should expect in the next two years. So they all line up. The bit that is crazy is the like maybe Oumuamua is the universe responding. But yes, we can think with these ideas without kind of picking which one it is, and that's useful. That's the I think it's the only way to do it without being crazy. And in many respects, synchromysticism is something we've had to invent because we used to talk like this. And by used to, I mean, 1800 years ago, we were very okay with using language to mean something literally and symbolically at the same time, because that was, we had, a, I would argue, a better understanding of reality, something closer to Charles Ford. And we kind of have to, it's almost like training wheels. There's a synchromistic analysis is how we get used to Thinking with and about a living cosmos when we just had 150 years of being told no such thing exists. So, and, and we're going to need those skills now because now everything is happening. <laughs> right. And I do think that is just the one two punch of ritual that really adds some clarity to it. Like you said, the Pentagon and it being on the anniversary and re dedicating it to a new mission. Things definitely changed after 9-11. And then this Harvest Festival, you know, possibly a pivot for NASA's mission, tying right into, like you say, the Tom DeLonge Pentagon program disclosure stuff. Pentagon, of course, being at the heart of that disclosure also. It's just so crazy. And 
we know that the elite and or at least aspects of the elite use symbols and rituals all the time, but it's like not to this degree. I mean, from 9-11, I don't know if there's been anything even close to that level until the Harvest Festival. Is there anything else in that wheelhouse that I'm missing that you think even touches those highest heights, like those two events? Not from a, you know, you might call it a blood sacrifice perspective. Those two things, they, they go together because, and this is when we were talking earlier about numerology not really being used as much as timing, as much as time. These are examples of that. So 9-11 and Vegas go together from, you call it a harvest festival, blood sacrifice ritual for whatever. Gross. Uh, either way, like we're, we're not being, you know, glib about this stuff. There have been other events that have been just, you know, dripping in some various Olympic opening ceremonies and that kind of stuff in the intervening time. But these, my hypothesis, I wrote about it a few years ago, but my hypothesis as to why 9-11 is so riddled with ritual components and and obviously the numbers there and the symbolism and so on is this is where they get the jobbing sorcerers, if you will. Like, I don't think Dick Cheney put on a robe and went into a ritual room and, and did all this stuff himself. I think coming out of the Cold War and, and MK projects and so on, they know this stuff works. We know that from Stargate program and all that kind of stuff. They know that there is a non-specific probabilistic uplift by behaving in a certain way. So if there's a thing you have to accomplish that's really hard to do, such as the, well, essentially the hijack of America with the you know Patriot Act and, and everything that came out, that big neocon PNAC pivot, they would have done it anyway, but it's difficult. And if they want to do that pivot and there are people in the, you know, there are people in Q branch who say, by the way, if we do it this way, we have 50 years of evidence to show that it might work a bit better. And that's my read on why all the 9-11 stuff is there rather than it being Zionist Freemasons and, and all the other stuff. It's because these people, are, they just want the win, right? Yeah. And that sentiment is there for me with Vegas. So those they fly together because it has the same – I mean, it's a horrific thing to do to innocent people at the best of times, but it has a, an extra level of callousness, which is we're just going to drip this in symbolism – but someone told them, and this means that whatever the NASA rededication is for, if we're correct, is of an equal or greater level of difficulty as was the PNAC pivot. As in, okay, we like everything we said about you know space and our near and our solar system has effectively been an op since the beginning of the Cold War. We now need to pivot the world into being like, by the way, aliens exist. By the way, we're already multiplanetary. By the way, we have these toys. Like, that's a big change. That's bigger than the PNAC neocon pivot. And that's what I think it was about. And it's just, it's crazy to me that it, the universe's response was Oumuamua. But even without that, that means the magic worked. Because even without that, the project is continuing anyway. And, and we should expect to see more of I hate, I don't even want to call it disclosure. We should expect to see more military contractors and ex-intelligence and military people allegedly disclosing what they know about aliens, which is code for we're getting ready to roll out our toys. Yeah, man, I, I just love it. And 
I kind of would remind people of what Dr. Skinner said when he was here. He told an anecdote about an early attempt at magic where he drew out his magical circle, did his conjuring, and a bunch of birds came down the chimney and went flying around the circle, shitting all over the living room. And then the next day he comes down because he's like, I can't believe that actually happened. Did that really happen? And yeah, you see the bird shit on the outside of the circle. And it's like, scale that up. You know, if you call, then something fucking comes. And of course they outsource the magic. I mean, the elite class are the kings of outsourcing. And I know from your magic class that magic is fucking hard. So I don't imagine that they're doing anything difficult that they can outsource. And why not get an expert? It kind of takes one. And Again, I get asked all the time, if this magic stuff works, you keep focusing on it with these guests, how come 9-11 is the only thing we can point to? Of course, now we have a second thing to point to, but it's because you can't do it every day. They would do it more often if they could, but like you said, you got to wait for that timing. So perhaps that's why we don't see it quite as much. If they obviously can get away with it, and it obviously is so potent, that would be a good reason. You got to wait for the clock to strike 12, man. You can't just go doing this stuff whenever or it's not going to have that same potency. Yeah, exactly. And you get the low-level stuff. The thing is, I think they only roll it out when you need all the oomph you can get to make that pivot. Yeah. That's the U.S. Because everything else that the U.S. or the Anglo-American to the Atlanticist project, everything else that they do has no competition. So you don't really need it. The tasks aren't that difficult. You just unilaterally say, you collapse that country or you, you do that. You don't, in fact, need the magic. Why would you do it? Even, I mean, I am one, but even people who are regular magical practitioners, I don't use it to find the remote. I just get the remote. And I think that's where some of it changes. So, for instance, we go back to, you know, one of my favorite sorceresses on planet Earth, which would be Elizabeth II. She's using it all the time, but she is in a different situation to the largely US-based Atlanticists and their various projects. But if you look at how she's used imagery and symbolism and her grandkids' marriages and all the rest of it to essentially refloat the idea of monarchy at just the right time to do a kind of partial handover of, I guess, naval governance from the US back to the UK as the US becomes more and more insular. You look at it and go, she's, but she's just knocking it out of the park every time from, uh, I get it's timings, but it's use of imagery and color and locations and, and so on. And that is, this is what I mean. They've always done it. That is exactly how, particularly when you're talking about monarchs, that's exactly how they've done magic. They've managed image and timing and location for their benefit. That feeds into the Cold War and all of a sudden you have improved technology and an understanding that there are extra dimensional beings and all the other wackadoo stuff that went on that the cold war was largely covered for and you come out the end of it into the 21st century and you have the timing in the image utterly weaponized with all the stuff that they've done in the second half of the 20th century and that is why things look as madcap as they do (laughs) yeah the royal family definitely has to be using some kind of magic just on the basis that they still exist, that we're all under the spell that we should applaud when they walk in a room and just let them wear all this draped in lace and gold and jewels. And like, why? Clearly we're all under a spell that that even exists. Well, she's extended her spell to the United States now with Harry's marriage, because now you guys have to care. I feel like I actually used to watch Suits. 
<laughs> I feel so sorry for what that girl has coming. <laughs> By all accounts, she seems lovely. She'll be mad. She'll be crazy within a few years. That will send her nuts. But he's what passes for the attractive one in the family. She's clearly beautiful and American. You're going to get what happened to Britain in the 90s. There'll be, um, now you have to care about it too. Now her image is from sea to your shining sea. <laughs> that, that's so clever. She's probably, when I say best, like she's probably the best monarch. The top three provably now have all been women. So it's been her and Victoria and Elizabeth I. Yeah. She's just playing a game. No one realizes the game she's playing, but she's been doing it since effectively she was a kid. And she's in her 90s now, so that's a lot of experience. And that's just a masterpiece. So she married the main one to what passes for a commoner to them, even though the Duchess of Cambridge, before she became Duchess of Cambridge, is just literally lived up the road from Grand. So common is pushing it, and she met Wills at an elite university. So that's Britain sorted. Ah, <laughs> everyone likes him again. It's just amazing that she turned around and and got like the hot one to marry an American actress. Remember, it was an American that almost collapsed the monarchy at the beginning of the 20th century. That's how good she is at this. She's going to play that game. God. Yeah. So anyway, we, that was a bit of a tangent just to say that this is how they have always done it. <laughs> and now we have that combined with whatever versions of the weaponization of, of kind of magic and all that sort of stuff that was developed through the Cold War. And you put those two things together and yeah, that brings us to 2018. <laughs> <laughs> so it is just always a great time having you here. Of course, you are the reigning champ of THC, not only with the most appearances, but surely the most references too. So obviously the spell you put on me and the magic work you've done to permeate your influence through the world of fringe podcasts is working pretty well. Maybe people should take a lesson, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I maybe I should get a lesson in target selection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dial it back a bit. Dial it back. You're you're you know, on too many episodes. Um, <laughs> well, you keep inviting Nick back. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I guess what can you do? Uh, so do you have anything to plug, really? I mean, we can remind the people of your books and blog. Is there anything else in the works? No, like if you guys are, if you're interested in either taking it the next step or you can become a premium member, like only if you're interested honestly, because you don't have to do the magic either. You can just kind of watch it, but that is what it's about. And we do video Q and A's, but if you're just happy listening to the talking, that will always be free. So not really, just if you're keen, hit me up. It's always about find the others, runesoup.com. But yeah, good luck, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, I'm already looking forward to the next one, man. Enjoy the farm life and keep doing what you do. Awesome. You as well. Oh, sweet baby Jesus and jumping Jumanji people. Gordon White, returning after a long hiatus. Consider me satisfied because I think this one hit on a lot of fun stuff. Chuck Fort's model for the passing dominant worldviews, how it connects to things we're seeing in the real world, and the cracks that could be considered clues that a new worldview is actually emerging. One where THC might not be so fringe. A bittersweet proposition for sure, but it's exciting. I tend to like change and even chaos. I don't want anyone to get hurt, of course, but I remember back in grade school, we'd have a tornado warning. We're all lining the halls, kneeling with our hands over that all-important base of the spine. 
And I'm looking around at some of the girls crying, even some of the guys crying, guys who got shit for it for the next eight years. But my immediate reaction was always a rush of excitement. I would be looking at my buddies through the gaps in our elbows, whispering, oh, shit. And again, that would have all changed as soon as there was any real danger. It's not like the school was torn apart and I'm laughing maniacally as my friends go spinning through the air. But there is something in me that makes me enjoy a good panic. Maybe that's why I do what I do. And it's not about promoting fear, but I love to get deep into making the case for something that might melt a person's worldview. That sort of safe panic, maybe we should say. It's in the same wheelhouse. Plus, fear porn is too predictable and expected for a conspiracy-themed show. But the thought of an era of wider inclusion gets right to the heart of it also. Are you a person who could deal with the emergence of deep state toys, the mainstreaming of flying saucers, the acceptance of other beings? And I'm sure a lot of these things are not going to come out for our benefit in some type of happy disclosure scenario, but, you know, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you would find that world exciting too. But think about the people you know who would be crying in the fetal position on the floor of the shower because this sort of stuff would just be too much for them. Those people do exist. I don't think it's an excuse to keep this stuff secret, but they do exist. It's like they're not really in any danger, but some people are just primed to short circuit because they haven't been paying attention and they are not open to change. They're in one bubble or another. Look at what happened to liberals when Trump took office. I mean... It's a fine line between pussy hats and a full emotional breakdown, right? If there's even a line at all. I'm just saying, during a period of flux, people who have really rigid worldviews do tend to reach a crisis point when it breaks down. So maybe build up some mental armor. You know, in that dominant of witchcraft presentation, Gordon also mentions the importance of re-examining your past Fortean experiences, which is such a great point. As he says, most people have experienced phone telepathy. Statistics show that 60% of people have had communication with a dead relative. So I think looking back at that stuff is really important. I mean, I am a person who received a telepathic message seconds before a car crash as a kid. I saw a cryptid hybrid creature in the woods for just a few seconds in kindergarten and still had a long material atheism chapter in my 20s, which really only speaks to the power of the Western worldview's brainwashing. You need to trust your own experiences rather than the so-called experts. I know I've said a lot of times on this show that I haven't had these sort of weird experiences in sober life. I haven't had those confirmations that I've wanted. And I say that because I think when we hear about an abduction story or an owl man sighting story, It sounds so out there, and we just don't hold our own experiences in that same epic category. Because we were there, and maybe we aren't sure what we saw, and we sort of normalized it. To use that first example, there was a time at a pretty young age when I never really wore my seatbelt, which might sound weird, but I was a rebellious kid. I was difficult, so I guess you got to pick your battles. Sometimes you just got to go get bread and milk, right? But for some reason, one day I got a mental message that said, hey, put that seatbelt on right now because you're going to need it. And I listened. And just after I clicked it in, we were T-boned by a barefoot woman who ran a stop sign. It was a pretty bad accident. No one was really hurt, but it was pretty bad. I never forgot that. 
In fact, I used it as an excuse to do really reckless things because I was like, oh, well, if there's going to be a problem, I'll probably get that prompt again. But at the same time, I kind of compartmentalized that off to the side and didn't incorporate it into my worldview. I'm sure that has to be true for a lot of listener experiences too, right? If you dig, I think you'll find that weird confirmation you're looking for. You might even question if that was really it, but chances are it was. I don't think you're really supposed to know 100%. If you heard me as a guest on Rune Soup, you pretty much got the childhood cryptid story, but I saw something that never really matched any Wolfman, Lizardman, Bigfoot description, so I've always been unable to categorize it. In fact, when Stranger Things came out, I said to my wife, hey, remember that thing I said I saw as a kid? It kind of looked like a demigorgon, but with a more human face. It didn't have a flower face. And it wasn't trying to eat me, but just shape-wise and color-wise. I sometimes think it was a skinwalker or something more in that vein, but whatever. The point is, plumb the depths of your past for these sort of nuggets you might have glossed over, but are actually pretty extraordinary. Another quote of Gordon's I wrote down but didn't get to is that Animism is not about moving from one point of view to another, but refusing to surrender to a single point of view. And that is something I want to tape up on my monitor as the definition of the higher side chats. Because over time, a lot of listeners will get obsessive about trying to pin down my worldview, which I consistently insist doesn't matter that much. People often say that certain shows contradict each other, and it's like, yeah, because this isn't just a path towards a singular worldview. It's an exploration of fringe ideas. You'll see in some critical comments about me that they refer to me as a truther, and I'm like, well, stop right there. We are exploring fringe ideas. I help guests make a case, and we see how it goes. But it just explains why I can do some pretty out-there shows that aren't consistent with the shows before them. It's also why when shows get even the least bit political, I get shit from the left and the right, respectively, because they just want to know what club I'm in so they can know if they can continue listening because they don't want anything outside of that bubble. And it's just so funny. Why would I ever want to make it that easy for anybody? In the Plus show, we also revisited some of the directed panspermia, pig chimp hybrid, ancient aliens type of stuff. And we didn't talk about mushrooms and fungus too much in that vein but it's definitely a component and i also wanted to mention this kind of along the lines of the joke a lot of amateur comedians make about dogs in that you got the dog usually leading the human around on a leash the human picks up their shit the human works all day so the dog can lay around like royalty and get three meals a day who's the master and who's the slave here huh I think we've all heard that, but it is an interesting way to look at things, and a similar thing gets said in regards to corn, rice, and wheat, and that they are the most plentiful plant species today. And Gordon cites a quote from Chris Thomas where he says, It's entirely valid to think of these plants as having taken advantage of a gullible primate to prepare the land for them, sow them, fertilize them, keep them free from pests and disease, and keep their seeds safe for the next generation. Who's manipulating whom? And I just love that outlook. It turns the worldview of humans dominating and ruling over their environment a bit on its head. Looking at things in a new sort of way is what it's all about, right? 
Of course, the biggest aha moment today for me was this idea of magic rituals and the one-two punch. We talk about elite rituals so much, but I think a lot of people miss that cause and effect element, that reconsecration thing. I know I have, and I think it's pretty damn fascinating. And maybe it gets us a little closer to a real understanding than a lot of other approaches a guest might bring up. In fact, the next show adds even another piece to it as Austin Kopic returns, and he knows both Chris and Gordon. So these three shows in a row is really like one big superset to me. I'm lucky to have these guys in the Rolodex because <laughs> I don't know how I'd figure out any of this stuff without them. We've had guests point out things that suggest the Twin Towers were built with sacrifice in mind, Rockefeller planned, so I wouldn't be surprised. And like Gordon said, they broke ground on the Pentagon September 11th, 1931, 60 years to the day. I mean, that's a goddamn ritual. Might as well call the place the Pentagram. And with Chris, we talked about how weird it was to have the Harvest Festival happen on 10-1, NASA's birthday, which is actually 59 years, so, so close. And then you'll find different dates because something like NASA was actually multiple stages of development. But just to read from the official chronology, NASA began managing the United States Space Exploration Program on October 1st, 1958. And you know, I hate to say incorrect things on the show. You know, he got one job, get these things right. And I had written down that Paddock arrived in Vegas on 8-17 and Chris corrected me and said it was 9-17. So the date was in my head. Well, 9-17, I see, is the day that NASA unveiled the first space shuttle, September 17th, 1976. So I really think there is something highly ritualized about all this. But just to wrap up the business side, because I do have one more thing to drop on you guys. Of course, every episode of the Higher Side Chats comes with an extra hour. If you're willing to support the show for five bucks a month via the HigherSideChatsPlus.com or Patreon. In today's second hour with Gordon, we got into plagues and disease, updates on directed panspermia, pimps and octopi, what it's like to run a digital magic school. The importance of timing and its effect on getting the attention of the spirits. Gotta love that. And we talked about the history of the grimoires and the Sola Bushka Tarachi deck, if you remember the Game of Saturn episode. We also talked about just the elite and haunted bloodlines, the Our Lady Fatima event and its importance to ufology. And then finally, civilizing trickster events and the prospect that the last one might have been less public. I think that's where we'll start the next podcast when I get them back on. And again, just listening to Chris and then Gordon and then Austin, you're going to want those second hours. And don't think THC is narrowing its focus. We've got plenty of other stuff in the works very soon. But I really love these subjects because magic is one of the rare things where we can actually weave in and out of how the elite use it and then how we can use it. And there will be comments about how that's all evil. And I would just say, who told you it was all evil? Religious authority figures. You really think they're not trying to maybe manipulate you and take your power away? Regardless, please sign up and support the show. Now, for a lot of people, I think these magic and spirit models of the world are a bit slippery. And there's a lot we don't know about these interactions or what a spirit or a god even is. But just in the way... 
The Matrix helped to conceptualize a Gnostic perspective, as does Westworld in a lot of ways. The show American Gods on Stars, I think, provides a great template for the gods interacting with humans and the real world in a very Sinister Forces type of way. And I'm about to play a clip from my favorite scene for you. So for context, the elevator pitch is that it's a show about modern America where the quote-unquote new gods of technology and dubstep and vaping have all taken over the culture and the minds of man. And the old gods, Odin in particular, is trying to make a comeback. And they're trying to re-exert their influence in the world, having been forgotten for so long. So the new gods see Odin starting to make moves, and they try to co-opt him. They try to dangle a very interesting, in the context of this episode, carrot in front of him. That would put his name back in the hearts and minds of man. But this clip even has a subtle couple of lines that even refers to the human-god relationship and how it's changed over time. It's even fun in the way that the gods are kind of strange. They make sense, but sometimes they don't exactly. They say weird non-sequiturs in the way that we've talked about before. I just think it fits. But anyway, there's a lot to like, and it's about three or four minutes. And I think it's easy enough to tell that all the voices but one are a team of people trying to convince the older voice of Odin to get with the program. So here it goes. Technology's evolving. We're all evolving. It would be an honor, sir, to evolve with you. I can help you. I want to help you. Influence, opinions, behaviors, beliefs like never before. We want to help you find your audience. You see, we're not here to fight. But you're offering the truth. The truth implies that we were ever at war. You might have been, but I wasn't. No, not a truce. A... A merger. Yes. A merger. Like champagne and potato chips. You ever dip a potato chip into champagne? It's real crazy, huh? Wouldn't you like an upgrade? A brand new lemon-scented you? Oh, I'm a fine me. I just keep getting better every year of course you are and that is the you that deserves to be seen incorporated everyone in the world gets their place with you that's why they call me mr world and if they don't agree i get it i do rugged individualism it simply doesn't work anymore brands sure a useful heuristic but ultimately everything is all systems interlaced a single product manufactured by a single company for a single global market. Spicy, medium, or chunky. They get a choice, of course, of course! But they are buying salsa. Show it. 
garden satellite to be launched over North Korea next month. Just imagine lightning raining down from the sky in the form of precision guided missiles. Could you imagine? 24.9 million people. They will know your name, Lickety Kite. Brand rebranded and just the start. No more stolen scraps, shortchanging, hand to mouth, gray hairs. No more motels and byways. Place in tomorrow, current last. Valhalla anew. Doesn't that sound swell? An oyster. Inside every pearl, there's a single irritating grain of sand. That's me. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Just like an oyster, you're trying to cover me up with something smooth and shiny, pretty on a necklace. But inside the shell, that slimy thing just wants that scratchy thing out of there. You see, merger? I hear exile. It's not our fault they found other ways to occupy their time. That's all you do, occupy their time. We gave back, we gave them meaning. Gotta love it, folks. And I'm out of here. Your move, Odin. Your fucking move. This is important. Hear what I said. I'm trying to tell you. It's not paranoia. Not in my head. It's just the hard truth. Knocked on your door while I still can. To ask you a question. Cause I know your head is still in the sand. To your slaughter for the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you see that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway It's a scary dark world
life oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke. You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die. Tough luck, my friend. Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're 